Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into part three of my 2016 genre uh, coverage, I guess. Uh, Today we'll be talking about comedies, musicals, and romance films, and how they've changed and improved or declined uh, with the past year in film. As a quick side note, uh, I do realize that it's been quite a few days uh, between parts two and three, and with the Oscars looming, and soon 2016 will simply be a footnote in the pages of film history, I am going to, I'm trying to make a concerted effort to pump out the rest of these episodes um, in a timely manner. I, there are, are total uh, eight parts. And looking at the groupings, there are definitely going to be a couple that are going to end up being very short. This is probably not one of them. Uh, but dramas will probably be the longest episode, simply because drama happens to be the largest uh, genre on pretty much a year-to-year basis. And uh, but But comedy is a very big one. And with the addition of romance and and musicals it it could could stretch out some time so first uh i've currently seen 187 films from 2016 73 of them are categorized as comedy films uh, which is 41 films shy of the yearly record which is 114 comedies from 2014 i've seen 12 musicals from the this past year which is only one film shy of 2013's record of 13, and I've seen 23 romance films, which is eight shy of 2014's record of 31. So a pretty healthy quantity to pull from. The question really is, is the quality there? And uh, that's what we're going to kind of be looking at. Um, Because... Uh, this will be this is the first uh, part with three genres being included. Um, so we're gonna start. So that means there's uh, six, seven, seven permutations of, of combinations. So I'm gonna start with all three uh, film the films that ca- qualified for comedy, drama, co- comedy, musical, and romance. Then I'm gonna move into just musical romance, then just comedy romance then just uh, comedy musical, then just comedy. Mm, No, we're going to end with comedy. So we'll do all three musical romances, uh, comedy romances, comedy musicals, romances, musicals, and comedies. All right? Cool. (laughs) Um, First one. Uh, comedy musical romances is very easy. There are only two films from the past year that I've seen that fit this bill. Those being La La Land, uh, which was nominated for 14 uh, Oscars, 
just Tuesday, and Sing Street, which got no nominations uh, at the Oscars, which is a shame, I think. And both films are also given the categorization of drama, as so many films are, so they will be coming up again in a later uh, chapter, part. But for now, um, this is a really good year for comedy, drama, <laughs> comedy, musical, romances. I, you know, they generally, um, musicals tend to shy away from the harsh drama aspect. Uh, you know, although recent in recent years, you've seen uh, a buck to this trend with Les Mis, um, Out of the Woods, and uh, although Disney is managing to stay very close to the um, <clears throat> very close to the comedy side of things, although the reason that Moana isn't included here is because Moana is Moana is a is not a romance at all. Um, but if you look at a movie like Frozen, sure there are dramatic elements, but it's not a drama. It's a romance, it's a musical, and it's a comedy before even a drama. It's fantasy before drama. And so there's, um, you know, there's a precedent for this, this grouping of films. They typically do very well for themselves. Um, if I look back at last year's uh, cat category... There was only one film that I have from last year that hits all three, and that is Strange Magic, which received very little fanfare when it came out and did not do anything at the box office. Probably you, most of you haven't even heard of it except from this podcast where I find myself mentioning it all the time because I really enjoy it, even though it is very subpar as a film. Uh, maybe I can. Maybe there's a better example in 2014. Two two uh, two films in 2014. Uh, the last five years, and God help the girl. Okay, so it seems like this is a category that has improved. Uh, I think it was a category that a category of films that did very well in in classic Hollywood. Uh, it hits all the standard tropes um, that we've seen in films like Singing in the Rain, but there isn't a lot of um, there just there isn't a lot of hasn't been a lot of desire for films like that, and I think that it was probably the artist that kind of paved the way for a film like this to do to do so well, because when the artist came out, critics loved it, and. Uh, it brought people back to a time that they weren't really aware of. You know, whether you were old enough to remember silent films, you probably never really expected us to go back to that. And if you weren't old enough to remember silent films, then this it was like a shockingly new thing to, to have a movie without people talking, you know, where you couldn't hear their voices. And that is that was a huge deal at the time and while I personally didn't find that movie very good I could I could appreciate it for the for what it was going for 
I could understand why it was attracting so much publicity, why people felt that it was so important and uh, of high quality. And I think La La Land kind of hits the same notes. While it is definitely a much more accessible film than The Artist, it is certainly an homage to classic Hollywood. Um, Damien Chazelle does a great job of really capturing the mood of old Hollywood and managing to put a decent spin on it of his own to give it a fresh feeling for those of us who are very familiar with this type of movie, um, particularly with the, the drama aspect that he adds to the movie. Sing Street, on the other hand, uh, is kind of its own thing. It's not stereotypical. It's less dramatic, but it still has enough of those elements in there. And it is kind of less of a deviation from what you would expect from a musical nowadays. It's not hinged on the music of it all as part of the film insofar as like a Disney movie is. You know, the music in the movie isn't a character stopping to sing. It is a band performing as part of the movie itself. And it's a boy starting a band to get a girl. It's a very classic story. It is just simply well told and um, features really fun music in it. So I'm hopeful that this will be uh, seen as... uh, I think I would say that this is good for this classification of genres, but I think the problem is going to be that La La Land hit way too many hit way too hard for too many people and films that come out out this year or next year that are also comedy musical romance films are going to be compared to la la land and it's going to heavily heavily hinder their uh perceived quality i think which is a shame honestly but i think that's probably the direction we're heading with those films uh, but we'll see next musical romance films that aren't comedies i only have one it's a foreign film called mirzia Uh, it's a bollywood film i believe i gave it a 64 so it's slightly above average but not terribly noteworthy otherwise um it's also a drama and films like this i think struggle because we want i mean it's really tough to like compare this to like a year in film simply because it is foreign it is a bollywood film and that is kind of the thing And last year had no romantic musicals that weren't comedies. Let me check 2014 really quick. 2014 had a short film, had Lava. 2013? No. None of the musicals from 2013 were romance films. Uh, 
Oh, I guess Frozen. Mm, frozen. Well, um, so I think what this kind of tells me is that we had Moulin Rouge and everything after that has been trying to get away from there. Uh, you know, Disney and animated musicals have been trying to evolve past the princess days for a long time now. Moana is an incredibly high point in that arc. And, you know, even looking at Trolls this year, it wasn't a romantic film, uh, very much so, at least as far as the main characters are concerned. And I think we finally hit the point where we want our musicals to branch out. We want more things like a Sweeney Todd or, um, you know, just, just movie or, you know, like a Sing. Like Sing was great for that aspect of films or a pop star. Uh, you know, you, you were looking for films that kind of buck this trend. I think that's kind of what we've come to be, come to, appeal for in our movies is we want our films to have such and such a label but deviate from the expectations that that label presents us with you know we want films like uh, uh, Moana but we want those but we want it rather to not be a princess romance story not be a prince saving her story, you know, and that's what we got, and that's why we love it, and that's why it's so good. And I don't know how much longer that trend can persist, uh, considering, you know, when you look at a film like La La Land, which has won over so many people, it's largely because that it does adhere so much to old tropes that we're familiar with. And while it tries to push forward and break new ground, I personally don't feel as though it succeeds. And I think that, I, I know that there are some people that agree with me, but I think that we will begin to realize that in the years to come. So, uh, romantic comedies. Um, so we finally have a healthy number of these. Looking at uh, 11 with the number one of top of them being a recently a film I saw recently called Patterson from Jim Jarmusch. And I thought it was incredible. Uh, other films on this list include Deadpool, Rules Don't Apply, Morris from America, Talala, Bridget Jones's Baby, Cafe Society, Love and Friendship, The Hollers, How to Be Single, and Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Um, so clearly, you know, there's a couple of these films at the bottom kind of scraping the barrel, but Deadpool was, was a huge hit this year. Uh, and then you've got a lot of films in the middle of this, this list that are largely, uh, <clears throat> um, largely just films that, uh, were indie films, films that not a lot of people saw because, uh, the big rom-coms that everyone wants to see aren't cutting it, you know? You had Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Nope. Terrible. How to Be Single. Awful. Uh, and then you have a lot of films that kind of just barely fell into the 
good, okay, fine kind of range. You know, Woody Allen put out Cafe Society. Bridget Jones's Baby, which did fine um, at the box office, but it wasn't the, a stellar sort of 90s, 80s rom-com that, you know, continues to live on to this day. It's not John Cusack with a stereo above his head. Um, it, you know, rom-coms just don't have that effect anymore, I don't think. Um, if I look at 2015... Rom-com, you've got kind of the same thing. There's one film that sticks out above all else, uh, which is Anomalisa, which is a very unconventional rom-com. It's animated in a puppet style, and the rest of the films on this list are largely uh, mediocre, average, or downright awful. And I don't see that changing. I think. You know, we might get one or two really solid, really good rom-coms, probably with peppered with other genres. Patterson is a drama as well. Deadpool is an action superhero movie. Uh, Rules Don't Apply is a drama. Mars from America is a drama. Talala is a drama. We just really aren't straight rom-coms anymore. The Bridget Jones Baby was pretty much the only one that came out this year that was any worth going to see and even that was somewhat over underwhelming you know it had all this time and i think that the only reason it did any it was successful at all is because of emma watson and her writing and her uh, small role in the film really helped carry it kind of into the uh positive side of things um, so then we have the last of the uh, paired categories, uh, comedy musicals that aren't romance films. Uh, so I have five films here. Moana, and this is this is a stacked category. Moana, Sing, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping, Trolls, and Make Happy. And Make Happy is... Uh, the comedy special from Bo Burnham, so it, it's slightly, an slight kind of an anomaly uh, amidst the other five. But it is musical and it is comedy, and in fact, it and Popstar are the only two that aren't attributing attributed to any other genre, and the other three are all musicals, or obviously they are. The other three are all animated movies, and I think. Animated musical comedies thrive. Moana Sing Trolls have done gangbusters at the box office. Uh, looking at uh, last year, you had Pitch Perfect 2, which was fantastic and did a great job. And looking at 2014... You had mm, only Frank and Annie. That doesn't sound right. I guess it's true. It's been a few years. Like, since Frozen, we haven't had any big musical numbers or big musical films uh, till this year. I don't, or till this past year, really. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, because I'm looking at this in Frozen, Saving Mr. Banks, somewhat, Begin Again. 
another Bo Burnham special. <clears throat> so, um, I think there's a much, I think, I think it was all going to rest on Moana, honestly. Uh, you know, Disney has been away from the princess films for a while. It's been, you know, three, three years since Frozen came out to an incredibly high elevated response. And after that, Disney started making other films like Big Hero 6 and Zootopia. You know, you had Pixar pulling out Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur. And all these animated films kept coming out that weren't musicals. And they were still getting really good returns on what they were. They were. You know, you had Shaun the Sheep movie. The Peanuts movie. Um, SpongeBob out of... The Sponge out of... SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water, Hotel Transylvania 2, uh, Minions, uh, let's see what else here, The Little Prince from 2015, uh, The Book of Life, which was not really a musical, uh, The Lego Movie, Penguins of Madagascar, The Box Trolls, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, you know, all these animated films kept coming out. They weren't musicals, animated musicals. Moana, Sing, Trolls. That have all done incredibly well. Moana and Sing are both nom or Moana and Trolls are both nominated for Best Original Song. Uh, Moana is nominated for Best Animated Feature. And it's pretty much I think you know, I don't know if Coco is supposed to be a musical. Let me check that really quick. Oh, wait. Coco's Pixar. So it's probably not. <laughs> um, no. I'm guessing it's not. Uh, so... I don't know what Disney's coming out with next year. 2017 Disney films. I mean, I guess Coco is still Disney, but... Um, you've got Cars 3. They don't have any. That's kind of crazy. So Disney doesn't have any big animated movies coming out that aren't Pixar. Uh, interesting. That's going to be curious because I'm, I'm interested to see what their next animated film is going to be. Because I think that it would make sense to be... A musical, but it's not because it's Wreck-It Ralph 2, which is not going to be a musical. And then you've got Incredibles 2 next year, uh, live action Mulan. I guess Beauty and the Beast is a musical from Disney this year, even though it's not animated. The next animated musical they're going to make is Gigantic. Uh, coming out in 2018 November and 
the plot is set in Spain during the age of exploration. The film will follow Jack as he discovers a world of giants hidden within clouds. Jack reference the female giant Inma, who's 11 years old, 60 feet tall, fiery, feisty, and a lot to control. Treats him like a living doll. Meanwhile, the antagonist, Storm Giants, stand at 120 feet. Hmm. I don't think... Mm, I don't know. That doesn't sound terribly enticing to me. But suffice to say, I think comedy musicals are best animated. And because without that romantic aspect of things, uh, I think they definitely have a lot more room to spread their wings and, and a lot more freedom, really. Because particularly in animated films, we're, we're sick of... Disney forcing relationships on us with our princesses and our trolls and whatnot. So I'm hopeful that this is a continuing trend uh, for films like this. And now on to our solo genres. Uh, so just romance films that aren't comedies or musicals. And this is kind of an eclectic group. There's The Handmaiden. The Mermaid, Indignation, The Mermaid is to, mm, is it a comedy? It's a drama? Uh, it feels like a comedy to me. I guess it's also a drama. The Mermaid, uh, definitely also a comedy. So lumping that back in with the comedy romance films by themselves, uh, doesn't really change anything I said. It's not really a rom-com. It, it satisfies, satisfies way too many other genres for that. But it is funny, and it is a romance film. And it's successful in that. Uh, anyway, Indignation, Allied, uh, Passengers, Light Between Oceans, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And I think romance films, if this is any indication... Or if, I guess if my personal feelings are any indication, the more genres they add to it, somewhat the better it is. So The Handmaiden is not just a romance th film. It's a thriller and a drama. And it's a foreign language. And it's amazing. Uh, Your Name is a romance and a sci-fi and foreign language and fantasy and drama and animated. Amazing. Indignation. Uh, is the best romantic drama uh, without any other genres to satisfy it. And it's very, very good. And then everything else below that is meh. Uh, you know, Allied is average. Passengers, below average. Light Between Oceans, below average. Pride and Prejudices and Zombies, below average. And you know, we seem to keep imbuing romance films with all these other genres, but it's tough to find the perfect combination. Um, you know, the difference between Your Name and The Mermaid is Your Name is animated and The Mermaid is comedy. And other than that, the two are the exact same genres. And they both happen to be uh, Eastern films um, from Asian countries. And I think... 
it's considering that the top three films on here are all foreign language, they are all from Asian countries, that that's currently where we're headed. Um, if I look at 2015 really quickly, the, well, 2015 was very much not the Serial, Brooklyn, Spring, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, Cinderella, uh, and, and like, that's a huge, like, that's five really good films that are romance films with very little other genres attached to them. And it seems like between that last year and this year, we felt like we really had to throw everything at the wall for a romance film to work. And while I think the films from 2015 that were romance films are really good, they didn't perform very well at the box office. I think Cinderella did strong performance. Uh, Carol probably did all right after the, uh, after the Oscar nominations came out. But, and so did Brooklyn, I suppose. But for the most part, they're all very small films. They're not attracting a wide audience. Likewise, Handmaiden isn't. But Your Name and The Mermaid have done incredibly well uh, internationally. And I, I, it's a shame that we haven't embraced them here in the United States. Which I think is... Hopefully this this pattern continues, and next year we see more good romantic films from other countries. And like I know that Your Name is going to get a domestic release within the next couple of months, and I hope that a lot of people will go to see it. I think it's a great film, and it's it's a shame, you know, all the romance films uh, that came out here. Allied, Passengers, Lay Between Oceans, Pride, Precious, Zombies. They're just very mediocre or unexciting. And, you know, there's only so many ways for people to fall in love. And, you know, the probably the biggest uh, romantic film isn't even classified as a romance on my spreadsheet and that's Moonlight. But it isn't really a romance because it's it's definitely just a straight drama and that's the craziest thing. Like this straight drama is more romantic and inspiring as a romance than a lot of the actually romantic films. And I think that filmmakers are finding it difficult to reconcile what the audience is looking for in a romance film. And if Moonlight's success is any way for me to gauge this, I would say that we want less heterosexual and heteronormative couples. And we want to see filmmakers and writers and directors and actors really branch out and, and try to do more with what they can. Try to find interesting couplings you know, it's kind of the same thing that the buddy cop genre went through, you know. It's not just enough to have a quirky cop and an old veteran or uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants guy and a take-your-time-and-plan guy. You know, you they eventually mixed it up with skin color, with uh, gender, with uh, species, with all kinds of things. And I would 
I think that we're going to have to do that with romance films if they're going to be able to keep up. Um, which I look forward to. You know, I just recently watched um, The Blue Lagoon, which is a romance film uh, set on a deserted island uh, where a romance blossoms between two cousins. And this came out in 1980. And while the film itself is, is very, very bad, uh, the premise is highly intriguing. And I think that that's the problem now you know we're putting out high quality films with uninspiring premises Uh, you know brooklyn while i think is a great film is very boring in terms of its story Uh, carol on the other hand presenting a, a lesbian relationship was actually quite amazing as a film not only in the high quality that it was in and the performances that it had but in the fact that it wasn't a boy and a girl. It wasn't, you know, things we've seen before. And The Handmaiden definitely satisfies that. Your name is very much like that. The Mermaid is very much like that. Uh, But most of the other ones on this list aren't, are just the same thing we've seen before. You know, a couple different, different color, different, someone painted over it, but it still looks the same. Uh, So, Hopefully, like it looks like there's two different ways for romance films to go. Hopefully we go the new and interesting way. I would, I would like to see that happen. Next, we have straight musicals that aren't comedy or romance. Uh, there's only four here. Two of them are... F- <laughs> wow. Uh, two of them are documentaries. One is a short film... And the other is uh, animated. Those are the the documentaries are the Beatles, Eight Days a Week, and Supersonic, the Oasis documentary, which are both very good documentaries. Uh, as someone who isn't terribly isn't a terribly big fan of the Beatles, and doesn't have a great un- knowledge of Super uh, Oasis's discography, I found both of those documentaries very charming, very insightful they're both pretty much following the bands while they're on tour for an extended period of time and you get to listen to a lot of really good music but also get a good sense of like who these people really were and how their thoughts were working behind the scenes and as they moved from one uh, venue to the next and worked on their albums and tried to kind of grasp and come to grips with the fame that they were being thrust into Uh, whereas my mutant brain is a short film uh, directed by spike jones uh which i don't know it's like i think it's on youtube or vimeo or something like that if you want to check it out it's only like three or four minutes and it's just a girl dancing to music which is pretty crazy but i think it's very very enjoyable and uh, highly entertaining but not really something that we can base the year's musicals on. And neither is the last film, which is The Land Before Time, 14, Journey of the Brave, uh, which is downright awful. And uh, I guess we'll just ignore this segment and jump into the biggest one, which is straight comedies. And I say straight comedies, but 
pretty much all these films have other genres attached to them. Um, you've got films like Zootopia, which is far more than just comedy. Swiss Army Man, 20th Century Women, Don't Think Twice, Hunt for the Wilder People, Captain Fantastic, The Edge of Seventeen, Everybody Wants Some, The Nice Guys, Affections, Finding Dory, Suicide Squad, Ghostbusters, Keanu, Storks, Kung Fu Panda 3, The Pro- uh, uh, Kevin Hart, What Now, Central Intelligence, Florence Foster Jenkins, Whiskey Tank Foxtrot, a lot of films uh, of a, a lot of varying genres um, that all have comedy in common. And I think, you know, you look at older films that didn't really experiment with genre, and you compare that to today where it feels like if a film only has one genre, it's not doing enough. But and I don't terribly disagree with that. You know, I think it's tough for a film to get away from the drama genre uh, without having without losing the weight of everything. And it's tough for a film to get away from comedy um, without truly, without being a slog to sit through. And generally, the response to that is for films to just be dramas with comedic elements that aren't comedies that's kind of the answer filmmakers are are trending toward and i think the other problem is that comedy is very hard to to uh keep relevant you know a lot of the comedy films from the 40s 50s 60s do not resonate with people that watch them today and i think that's why comedy films have become so diverse in terms of second and third and fourth and fifth genres. You look at Hunt for the Wilder People, it's an adventure film. It's a drama. You look at uh, Don't Think Twice, 20th Century Women, both dramas. Swiss Army Man, it's a drama. It's an adventure film. It's a fantasy film. Zootopia, adventure, animated, crime film. Uh, you, You know, you've got Finding Dory, adventure, animated, You've got the nice guys, action, crime, mystery, thriller. It's very difficult for people to just accept that a film is straight comedy. And the highest rated one I have is Everybody Wants Some. You know, Richard Linklater knows how to make a straight comedy. Uh, While I think his best work is done in the uh, romance comedy drama category uh, in the before series or comedy drama as far as uh, boyhood goes there is the sense that you know everybody wants some isn't a drama and I think it's better off for that it's just a very light-hearted experience with these people who are they just want some you know they want some and it never really becomes a romance. It's just kind of a, a baseball movie without any baseball and a romance without any romance and a drama without any drama. <laughs> and it gets by as on its comedic chops. And the best, the problem is, I think that people really lack the ability to write dialogue well. Because, you know, we look at movies, if I scroll down here, like Masterminds, or Norm of the North, or Zoolander 2, or Why Him, or Get a Job, Keeping Up with the Joneses, Bad Santa 2, The Do-Over, Ride Along 2, Now You See Me 2, Middle School, Worst Years of My Life, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, 
Neighbors 2, Bad Moms, Elvis Christmas Party, Almost Christmas, The Angry Birds Movie, etc. These films are comedies that aren't really very funny because they lack good writing. That is the biggest problem with all these comedy films. And it's not even like plot. It's character and dialogue. You know, you watch, you know, I remember watching a movie like Office Party, Office Christmas Party. You basically get these one-liners that the only reason any of the jokes land is because Jason Bateman's delivery is impeccable. And, you know, a lot of the jokes coming out of T.J. Miller, I felt, for me, fell flat. Um, Neighbors 2, I felt the same way. Now You See Me 2, you know, the same thing for all these movies. Ride Along 2, Do Over, Bad Santa 2, Get a Job. It's just the same jokes over and over and over again with a different dressing on top. And that doesn't cut it. You know, there's a reason that Now You See Me 2, Ride Along 2, Bad Santa 2, Zoolander 2, Neighbors 2. They're doing, there's these movies that keep coming out. They're using the same old jokes in the same tired way. And they're underperforming at the box office. They're receiving lackluster reviews. They just aren't doing as well as their predecessor. And I think that has been the biggest flaw with putting, with making comedies, is that we have gone far too many times. We go back to the well. And comedies don't need sequels. I don't think comedies deserve sequels unless there's something more going on. None of the films that I just named had more going on. Now, if I'm looking at a film like... Uh, not like Finding Dory, which while I feel vastly inferior to Finding Nemo and obviously has other things going on than just being a comedy, it had more to say. It, I wish they'd made, I wish Pixar had made something different, but Finding Dory is not a bad film and it's still incredibly well animated and voice acted and has good writing but it's there's an issue when like finding dory is the best comedy sequel of the year really that's that's a low bar and i think that we as an audience deserve far better and studios don't care because they can make money on existing ips as much as they need to and let's see, if I look back at 2015, all the best comedies are original IPs. And scrolling down, I mean, the Peanuts movie, eh. SpongeBob movie, eh. Uh, Magic Mike XXL, eh. I thought that was very mediocre. Hotel Transylvania 2, bad. Ted 2, bad. Entourage, bad. Um, Hot Tub Time Machine 2, bad. Minions, bad. You know, like they keep missing and they keep not caring because people still go to see them enough, at least, that they can fund another movie, which is mind-boggling. I don't understand. But I think... I feel as though we're starting to realize this as a as moviegoers that you know we don't want comedy sequels 
um, most comedies don't set themselves up for to be sequels. And then they do really well, and then we see them come out with another one next year. And the only time that's really necessary, you know, a lot of animated films get sequels. And while many of them definitely underperform, Pixar, for some of it, some of it, uh, particularly for Toy Story, is succeeding and making good, high-quality sequels uh, of comic movies. But the problem is that Toy Story movies are more about the comedy. They're message-driven movies aimed at kids that deal with very real and relevant topics. And you just don't get that with, like, a Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Like, that's not dealing with anything heavy. It's just kind of there to be laughed at and poked fun at and giggled over when they make a pratfall or a dick joke like i don't i don't want that in a movie i don't and uh i don't really know the extent of how bad this is going to be in 2017 i haven't really looked at the slate uh, of of movies coming out as far as sequels go but it's probably going to be a little more of the same and that's kind of depressing so while there are still a lot of great comedy films coming out, there's still a lot of subpar ones, and I don't think we're getting away from them because the ones at the top of my list, with the exception of Zootopia, are like very tiny films that most people aren't watching. And that is the problem. We need more people watching interesting, innovative films like Swiss Army Man likes 20th Century Women, like Don't Think Twice, or Hunt for the Wilder People, or Captain Fantastic, or The Edge of Seventeen. And it feels like people continue to gravitate toward what they know, uh, which I think is somewhat depressing for this, the future of our comedy movies. Because I very much like comedies, but it's, it's, not, it's not good. It's not good. So, that's it for those movies. Um, yeah, this has been uh, part three of my genre. Octologue? Is that, is that Octologue? Uh, Eight-part series, Octology. Um, tune in next time. I don't know if the next episode will be a review or statistics episode or it would be part four. If it is part four, we'll be looking at crime, thrillers, and dramas. Uh, Crime, movies, thrillers, and dramas, rather. But that is all for this episode. Thank you for listening. I can be found at circleoffilm.com. You can email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. Come on, baby, when we paint the town. And all the jazz. So long, farewell, I'll be the same Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.